The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the news, information, advice, and techniques you need to start or grow a real estate investing business all your very own. This week in the Real Life Real Estate world, we have a couple of great meetings coming up here in the WMKV listening area. Tonight, it's the Greater Dayton RIA meeting with William Sumner, the uh, uh, coach who was with us last week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. That meeting is open to the public, and you can get more information at gdrea.org. That's gdreia.org. It'll be at the uh, Dayton Board of Realtors, so right close to downtown Dayton. And uh meeting starts at... 630 uh, ends at nine o'clock. And again, that one is open to the public tomorrow night. Uh, the Cincinnati RIA, Cincinnati Real Estate Investors Association has its annual networking picnic. It's actually at the same location as all the meetings, which is the CAA building in what now used to be Jordan Commons uh, is a big flat construction site with the CAA building and a library in the middle of it. Uh, but anyway, there will be free food, free drinks, and a uh, great opportunity to network, find your next potential partner, lender, seller, buyer, realtor, who knows? Who knows who you'll meet at the picnic? That again begins at 6:30 tomorrow night at the CAA building at the corner of Reading and Langdon Farm Road in Bond Hill and uh you can get more information about that and uh get yourself registered because although it is free you do need to register at cincinnatiria.com at cincinnati r e i a.com and in national news the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association is uh, announcing dates now for its 2014 National Real Estate Strategies Summit. This is an event that happens every year here in Ohio somewhere and attracts folks from all over the United States to see 15 experts in all areas of real estate investing from commercial to residential, from note buying to flipping ugly houses, from apartment management to rehab and resale. The dates, are you ready? Because I know you got your pen out when I said that I was going to be saying what the dates were, are November the 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th. November 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th here in Cincinnati. 
you get more information about how to uh, register and also support public radio over the next couple of weeks here on Real Life Real Estate. So stay tuned for that and to hear uh, interviews with some of the Real Life Real Estate Investing uh, guests who are going to be appearing there at uh, the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. Stuff that you can do from home. If you go to askvina.com, you will find there on the uh, upper part of the page an opportunity to download a free copy of the uh how to get started in real estate or sorry how to get started in wholesaling ebook that we talked about here on real life real estate investing last week and uh, we're only going to leave that up there for just a little bit longer because there's some other stuff that we'd like to get up there and publish but if you'd like to uh, get your 30 page ebook on some of the basics of wholesaling real estate you can do that at askvina.com uh, you'll also see that there's a download of a webinar that we did a few weeks back about um, legality of wholesaling in various places that is free to all real life real estate listeners but you need to go ahead and go get it before we take it down don't email me in a month and a half and say oh, i went there and it wasn't there that's askvina.com a-s-k-v like in victor e-n-a.com while you're there, you can always ask questions of Real Life Real Estate Investing. Uh, there's a form there that if you have a question in the middle of the night, you wake up screaming and sweating because you have a real estate question that you just do not know the answer to. Uh, you can uh, always go to askvina.com, fill in the response form there, and then listen to upcoming shows for the answer to your question. And uh, also while you're there, click that like us on Facebook. Uh, little icon and uh, join our real life real estate family on Facebook as well. If you're wondering why there's so many announcements here at the beginning here, uh, it's because we are trying to reach my guest by phone and <laughs> we're having a hard time getting through to him. So I think maybe we're going to take a quick break and see if we can uh, make that happen. And uh, we will be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and I am happy to say that we have with us Jeffrey Taylor, a.k.a. Mr. Landlord, probably the best-known rental management, maintenance, tenant retention, screening person in the whole country via his extremely popular website, MrLandlord.com. Uh, Jeffrey has just done so much for so many years. His, his, his bio would take me half the show to read, but he's the author of the Landlord's Kit. He's the founder of the MrLandlord.com website. And he, of course, is a very uh, experienced and, um, shall I say, blooded landlord himself. He's <laughs> joining us from his home by phone. Uh, welcome, Jeffrey. Hi, Vina. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you. And I'm and I'm so sorry about the uh, hang-up at the beginning. We had a number transposed in your phone number. And we, kept, okay. <laughs> we kept calling it. Why, why isn't he answering? Why isn't he answering? But it was it was our fault. <laughs> it was a transposed number. So um, we're going to talk today to all of our listeners who are 
currently landlords or who would like to be landlords at some point in their time in their uh, careers about how to handle that profession because you know and I know that you could you could take any particular rental property and if you put it into the hands of two different people one of them might have the experience of it being very profitable and one of them might lose money on it and it's the same property right same property same area and the difference i think is whether the the, the guy who's the guy who's going to make money on it is going to handle this in a particular systematized professional way and the guy who's not going to make money is uh, sadly going to handle it like most untrained landlords do so let's let's talk first just sort of in in big picture strokes if i am a rental housing provider or i would like to be in the future what are sort of the big areas that i need to focus on to make sure that i not only have a profitable experience but also one that doesn't make me tear my hair out Okay. Well, you kind of started by hitting the nail on the head when you said running it in a, uh, as a profession. A lot of rental property owners don't really see this as a business, especially if they're just starting out or they obtain a property accidentally, so to speak. Um, they had a house that they moved out of that they couldn't sell, and then they said, okay, well, maybe I'll go ahead and seek to rent this, or they get it an inheritance of a property, and they think, well, maybe I, we can make a few bucks before selling it by renting it out. But they don't really see it as a business. So the first thing I would strongly suggest to anybody getting in the business, thinking about getting in the business, is that they see it as a business. And they do have to run it, as you alluded to, in a, in a systematic manner. But to even break that down just a little bit, I mean, basic things when I say run, run it like a business is not – assuming things and not trusting people. While it's nice to trust individuals, some of the biggest mistakes I made at the beginning when I first started, and I too was an accidental landlord that had bought a house. My wife and I decided to move to a a different location. We rented out the first property that we had. But when we first started out, um, we basically did things on a handshake. Somebody came to our property. They wanted to uh, rent it out. We didn't do any kind of credit check. Uh, we simply kind of looked at them, eyeballed them, felt that they were okay kind of person, you know, kind of doing a gut check, so to speak. And if they seemed okay, uh, we decided to go ahead and rent to them. We didn't even have a formal uh, lease agreement at that time. I mean, we made so many mistakes when we first started out, mainly because we just didn't know. And that's all part of the idea of running things like a business. Now, if I had to start all over again, I would say, okay. I'm doing this thing like a business. I have to have proper paperwork. I can't take things for granted. I can't just assume people are going to turn out okay. I'll run my credit checks. and So that's that's how we can start off this discussion today. Mm-hmm. Now, if you guys want some specific things, additional things you'd like me to start to talk on, I'd be glad to. Well, since since the screening and selection piece is both, I mean, it, it who you put in your property kind of determines what experience you're going to have yeah in in the story i mean you can't if if they they are they are who they are and you're not going to change them (laughs) once they get into your unit and it's also the thing that in my experience landlords are worst at Mm -hmm. i mean where i i keep wondering where do all my bad tenants go (laughs) <laughs> the, 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 the the people who who didn't pay me for the last two and a half months, you know, before they moved. And the reason they were able to get away with that was they 
demanded a jury trial and they dodged service. And I mean, they clearly know the system. How did they find another place to live? Well, well just like <laughs> I mentioned in my own experience, at the beginning, I didn't know about doing running credit checks on people. I didn't know about doing background checks, criminal checks. Again, I did things on a gut level type dealing, and so somebody could have just been evicted from the house next door as far as I would have. I mean, I may not have known um, because I didn't do background checks and credit checks. And that's the way that a, a large number of rental property owners now run their business. In fact, I hear it all the time. Like you, I speak in many places across the country, and I ask landlords, I say, how many of you are doing credit checks? And many of them will say, well, we don't do credit checks because we know that people have bad credit, so there's no need to waste the money on a credit check. And I'm saying to myself, hello, you can get credit checks for as low as 10 bucks. It's worth getting a, doing that little simple step um, because you can find out so much from a credit check, not just how good their credit is, but you can um, possibly get some addresses that you wouldn't get otherwise from them putting down on the application, assuming what they put down is correct. Uh, you can, if they uh, if they've got any utility bills that they might not have paid, it's just a lot of things that you can find out other than just whether they have good credit or not. And you can even compare what they say to what's on the credit report. I mean, a lot of times I'll, I'll look at an individual. Maybe they don't have great credit score. Maybe they don't have a great credit report. But at least they were honest with me in terms of what they said I would find, and then that's what I find. But there's some people, they'll, they'll tell you, yeah, I'm perfect, perfect, perfect. And I compare that to the credit report, and it's like something's not matching up. And right there, if they're not being honest with me, there's no need for me to move in, move further in this discussion. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I hear the same I, – I experience the same thing you do, Vina. I've got people that apply to my properties, and when I run the credit report, they've got four or five evictions um, in the last year. Uh, they have – different things that show up that I would not have known when I first got started in this business. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, and, and I'm, I'm sort of in the same camp as you are, I, I, I understand that the tenant's going to have the bad credit. I mean, there's a, if they had great credit, they may, maybe would not be renting. Mm-hmm. But I don't think people understand all the things that credit reports can tell you. And one of the things is if you're dealing with somebody who has stolen their sister's identity so that they can fool you because every every once in a while I'll put in somebody's name and social security number and the credit reporting agency will tell me they don't match. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even yep. dealing with the person I think I'm dealing with. So uh, credit checks for sure. What what other sorts of things do you want to know about a tenant before you hand them the keys to your $100,000 asset? Well, I want to you know, I want to run an eviction report on them to see if they've got what kind of rental history that they have. Um, again, res- applicants don't always put down their prior history. In fact, on my applications, I like to get at least uh, three years, at a minimum, three years of prior rental history. And so, if I see on their application that they they put down current address and it only goes back for a year, I say, well, I also need the address before that one. And if that one is only for a couple of months, I say, well, yeah, I need another one. Because I'm trying to get at least three years track record on where they've been and if they're indeed paying somebody. And I can understand if they tell me, well, I've, I've lived with my mom, I've lived with my brother for the last five years. Okay, that's one thing. We'll see if we can um, verify that in some way. But <laughs> I want to look at their rental history. I also want to look at their criminal history. Um, in many states, you can now, uh, that that's public information so that you can look that up. Um, so, But I would definitely want to look at their criminal history. In fact, 
look at the criminal history sometimes as the first thing because in my area I can do that. It's public information, doesn't cost me anything. And, and if that shows up uh, with some things that I need to avoid, especially if it's something drug-related, you know, I'll stop the application process right there. So definitely along with credit, at a minimum I want to pull criminal history and I want to pull the um, rental history and check evictions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about uh, sort of the, the, the fourth leg there, which is uh, income, job status? Uh, can, they, can they even afford the place? How, do you, how far do you go in, I don't know, getting pay stubs or calling employers? Or what all, what all do you do just to make sure that, yeah, they can, in fact, in fact comfortably afford this place? Yeah, I definitely would like to. I definitely call uh, the current employer. And to see, one, not just how much they're making, but two, how long they've been receiving that income. Uh, to me, it's not just enough to be making enough money. I want to also um, look for longevity. The more longevity a person has, the more I consider them a credible uh, resident that I want to have in my property. In fact, longevity is something I look at in terms of rental history. It's also something I look at from an income standpoint. And when I'm, in fact, when I'm evaluating residents and as I'm comparing residents, I give extra bonus points, so to speak, if they've got a longer rental history or if they've got a longer employment history. So, again, I'll contact the employer. And Now, a lot of employers these days, they, they don't want to get the information. Sometimes you have to... Uh, um, go to a website and find out that information. And I'll go through the different steps. And a lot of times I'll put it back on the resident and say, hey, I'm having a hard time getting your employer to verify this information. I need your help. If it needs you want to rent this property, I'm going to need you to uh, uh, go on, intercede on my behalf so that they can get this information to me because it's vital that we have that uh, before we can determine whether you're accepted or not. Um, so... I definitely want to verify the amount of income that the person is having and, again, how long they've been having it. I'll even ask the employer, too, does it does this person, do you anticipate this person being able to work for you for, you know, what length of time? Because uh, I've had situations where I've contacted the employer and they say, yeah, they're working for us, but um, this is only for a three-month period or this is only for the next six months. And so I learned that the hard way. So now I try to find out, how long they've been working, and how long they anticipate, how long the employer anticipates the person working. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very good. And uh, Jeffrey, we just received uh, an email question via our website at askvena.com. That's A-S-K-V-E-N-A.com. This one is from George in Marietta, Georgia. He says, now that you're discussing this, I have an important question that can't wait. I'm about to acquire someone else's tenants. I'm buying a three-family from a frustrated landlord, and it just occurred to me, I have no idea other than their names on the leases who is living in this house. Should I rescreen them, or can I even legally do that? Uh, let me make sure I understood the question. Did they say, that, have they already taken over possession and management of the property? No, apparently this is going to be closing sometime soon, though, <laughs> because he thinks okay. that, he thinks that, uh, that this is an important question, uh, uh, sure. a, time, a timely question. And, and I think that's happening more and more anymore is, you know, people are buying turnkey rentals or they're buying rentals from landlords who they have tenants, but they're tired of managing them or they're buying properties out of foreclosure 
that already have tenants in them. And the the seller can tell you whatever they want about the performance of the tenant, but you really don't know who you're dealing with unless you somehow screen them yourselves. And is that is that something that that you recommend with inherited tenants, or you just sort of sit back and wait and see what happens? No, I, 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 one of the things in my negotiating with a, a buyer of a property is uh, permission to contact the residents so that I can directly find out from them. One, who's living there? Two, um, how much they're paying? Three, are they on leases or are they month to month? I don't just take it for granted or assume that what the seller has given me is correct information. I've had situations where I purchased some properties before taking the time to communicate directly with the residents that are there. I've had situations where in which um, the seller of the property is given a real special deal to the current resident. Um, that I wasn't aware of, and that caused the additional problems and uh, loss of cash flow because I didn't check that out ahead of time. So I, I strongly recommend to those investors who are buying properties to, um, as part of your negotiation, uh, have, allow, have permission to contact the current residents that are there. Um, I also want to see what the maintenance issues are like um, because, again, the seller may not be giving you the full information in terms of what the condition of the property is and how satisfied the current resident is. And also, by the way, just as a side note, if the current resident is really behind on rent and as part of my negotiation, if, if it's a thing where it looks like it's pretty sure we're going to have to do an eviction, I ask the seller of the property, I, I'd like you to go ahead and start the eviction process before I take over the property. That way, let the seller be seen as the bad guy. They don't have anything to lose at this point since they're selling the property. No need for me to take it over and become the bad guy all of a sudden. Um, I purchased a 12-unit last year. Uh, took it over from somebody who was totally mismanaging the property, had let all kinds of the uh, individuals move into the property who were doing illegal activity, and et cetera, et cetera. And so I knew that it was just a matter of time before these people would be evicted, in fact, one of the reasons I got a real good deal on it is because the, the current owner had basically given up on the property. And so I had the that seller start the eviction process. I even showed him how to do it. I didn't leave it up to chance that he would know how to do it. I showed him exactly what we needed to do, went down there, helped him fill out the paperwork. And so by the time I took over this 12 unit, eight of the 12 people had already been evicted, and the other three of the, the other four was in the process of being evicted at that time. Mm-hmm. And when they started asking me questions, I just said, well, you know, the current seller, he started it, and at this point all I can do, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Resident, is uh, continue with what was started. <laughs> yes, and that's and you, you knew what the situation was. It's very often the case that if someone's trying to unload a building, they don't quite tell you the whole truth about who's doing what and who's actually up to date and... Uh, all those sorts of things. I bought a building once and discovered that one of the three tenants had not paid rent in eight months. Eight months after I bought the building. Now, when of course, when I was buying it, oh, sure, they pay great, right? But <laughs> after I bought it, eight months that they hadn't paid rent. So uh, great advice. And thank you for your question, George. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the management part of this and how to keep your tenants around for much, much longer than you probably are right now. We're also going to take your calls at 877-772-9658 or your questions via email, askvina.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My 
guest today is Jeffrey Taylor, better known as Mr. Landlord, who, by the way, is one of the featured speakers at the 2014 National Real Estate Strategy Summit here in Cincinnati on November 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th. There will be more information about how you can register for that in the upcoming weeks here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. But if you like the advice you're getting right now, imagine an hour and a half of, man, he's just got like tip after tip after tip. It's just, you got to almost take notes with both hands when you're listening to Jeffrey speak. And um, we're talking today about how to really and truly run your rental business like it was a business and not like it was something that you were doing on the side and you know that all these people that were living in your properties were your friends instead of your customers you know Kroger doesn't let people promise to pay their grocery bill at some later date when they've already taken the groceries out and you shouldn't either so we've already talked about the uh the importance of just Knowing who you're putting into your unit in the sense that, you know, you've you've actually checked on their, uh, they are who they say they are, they have the rental history they say they have, they can afford the place, they're not, you know, not being chased out of their old unit because they've been dealing drugs or whatever. Um, uh, Jeffrey, the the thing that that I think is is very hard for folks, particularly who maybe, maybe they only own two units, 10 units, they're not, this isn't their full-time job, is sort of the ongoing management, right? The rent's late, but they promised they would pay. So I guess I'm just going to sit around for 23 days (laughs) into the month and, and hope they pay. I assume that in your own business, you also have systems for stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Um, let me share, share just one tip in reference to when you came back. Um, you mentioned about not possibly putting somebody in your property and not really knowing who you're getting. Uh, just just one extra tip. Ask for a copy or to see their driver's license. Um, you know, the information they may be giving you to, may not even be they, it may not even be them to begin with. And a lot of landlords get burned simply because the person who's filling out the application is not the uh, is not the person that is they're putting down on the application. So that, that's just an extra tidbit note um, that I had to learn the hard way as well. Mm-hmm. And now, in terms of if somebody's just have one or two properties, one of the things I could suggest in running this thing like a business, even if you just have one or two homes that you rent out, that you kind of put together a checklist that you go by. Um, each month. And when I say that, I, I thought about it when you said that, okay, the rent doesn't come in on the first of the month. What do you do at that point? Well, if, if when you're not running your business in a systematic way and you've got a full-time job and you're not thinking about rentals all the time, sometimes it's easy, to be honest with you, for a, a landlord to easily let a week, two weeks go by before they realize, wait a minute, I haven't got the rent. Um, of course, if they have a mortgage, they probably thought about it. But again, the point is that uh, there, things can easily slip if indeed you're run, you've got a full-time job and this is just something you're doing on the side. So a suggestion that I would make to any rental property owner is to start to put together a simple checklist of things that you do that you need to do each month 
And I mean basic stuff. Like you said, when the, if the rent is due on the 1st, depending on if you have a grace period or not, when is it that you start your eviction process? So in my case, I don't have a grace period. Um, and, and now you have to check to make sure it's legal in your state not to have a grace period in mind. There's no requirement for me to have a grace period. In fact, if you're in a state that is not required, you're not required to have a grace period, my suggestion to you would be not to have a grace period. Um, so on the second day of the month, I start the eviction process. That's part of my checklist in running my business. I don't have to remember. I just look at my check checklist and say, okay, this is the day that I do that. Um, if it's a day you know, once a quarter, I may do an inspect. Not I may. I do an inspection of people that have moved into my house. The first year we do quarterly inspections. Well, that's part of my checklist. I don't have to remember to do it. I just following my checklist to see how they are maintaining the property. So uh, part of the answer to your question is how can a person with just one or two rentals run this thing in a business-like manner is to start to develop a checklist in how you do things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would add to that, don't try and reinvent how this works. People have been renting to people for thousands of years, all right? We know mm-hmm. what does and doesn't work. And I know that, listeners, that your tenant is different than all of the other tenants who are making excuses on the first of the month about <laughs> why they don't have their rent. And surely they are telling the truth because they sound so honest. But when somebody with, with you know, 30 years experience like Jeffrey Taylor is telling you if the rent isn't there by the due date, you start the eviction. You also start the eviction. It doesn't matter who your who your tenant. We've all heard the stories. We've all seen the big. Yep. We've all seen the big tears in the eyes, and we've all and we've all we've all you know known about situations that that we felt bad about. And and there have been times when we have intentionally made um, uh, exceptions to our policies, but you got to have a policy to start with in order to make exceptions to it. And uh, my experience is that when when the excuse is something along the lines of my check got mixed up or my transmission went out or as opposed to, you know, somebody died, which is a completely different level of things, uh, you're not doing them any favors. You're not doing your tenants any favors by letting them get a month behind. Not only that, Fina, the thing about it is, I know when I first started as a rental property owner, I found I found myself trying to judge whether an excuse is a good excuse or not, good enough for me to give them a few extra days. And if I said that it, that you know w- w- that excuse doesn't work, then what I found happening was they would just make the excuses worse. Um, uh, they, each time it would become bigger and bigger and bigger, and, and so I found myself judging excuses. And that's not the way you run a business. No, your policy is your policy. So when they start to even make an excuse to me now, well, in fact, let me back up. As part of running this thing like a business, I take time with my residents. At the very beginning, at the time that we're signing the lease, which is what I call a resident orientation, that's one of the key things that I cover, that, you know, this isn't, we're, we're, I'm not going to be basing decisions on what kind of excuse that you might have. Um, in fact, uh, I try to put it in a humorous type of format. I even provide a list of excuses that <laughs> residents have given our company in the past. And I, I show it to them. They kind of look through it. They chuckle as they read about grandmother died, car broke down, sister stole the money, blah, blah, blah. And they kind of chuckle. And I say, I'm just presenting this to you. 
um, because we've been presented with excuses from our residents in the past. And I want to let you know from the very beginning, it doesn't matter what the excuse is. We have to do, we run our business in a certain way, and on the second day, we start the eviction. On a, uh, a day following, on a certain day beyond that, once we go through the pay or quit notice, we start, we contact the courts, and we go the next step with an unlawful detainer or whatever that's called in your particular state. So we let them know from the very beginning we, we, we're clear in our communication, and I guess that's what I'd like to emphasize to your listeners. Uh, so many times in running a bit, running, not running it like a business, uh, we sign somebody up, so to speak. We say, here's the rental agreement. We don't go over it with them. We simply have them sign it, say, great, here's the keys, and you're off and running. Well, the problem with that scenario is you haven't taken time to have clear communication so they have clear expectations of what's going to happen. So the very time that something happens that doesn't go along with the lease, it's like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? And you can say all day long, well, that's in the lease, but if you really didn't stop, take a half hour, take 45 minutes, take an hour to really go through your rental agreement and what the expectations that you have of that resident, you're just opening up the door for future problems and future headaches that you're going to have to deal with at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. And In fact, go ahead. I can even add to that, Dina, um, you know, there's certain things in running this like a business. Uh, well, let me say this. There's certain things in the lease agreement that I now address as part of this whole orientation time that I didn't when I first started. And there are areas that a lot of landlords, like myself, got into problems with because there was misunderstanding. For example, the whole question of does your lease address pets? Um, does your lease address what happens if the window breaks, if the door gets broke down? What happens if rent is not paid by the due date? What happens if there's um, mice in the property? What happens if you get locked out of the house? What happens? And so we, have, we, we address all these what-if scenarios up front as, all, again, all part of making sure everybody is on the same page in terms of expectations. Mm-hmm. Question for you. Do you, ever, do you ever have a tenant? Do you ever have a tenant sit at that orientation with you and then say, "You know what? I don't want to agree to any of this," and get up and walk out? Oh, sure, sure, <laughs> no problem. I'd much rather them say that to me then than me have a headache down the road. I'm, I'm excited when that happens. I know some people listening to this may say, "Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just lost a person. Um, now you're going to have to go through the channels of re-renting it. You're going to have to start advertising. Blah blah blah." Well, for me. I'd rather do an eviction before the person actually moves into the property. If, it, if they're gonna not, if they don't like the rules, it's just a matter of time um, before one, they either can give you a continuous headache, or two, you're gonna have to evict them because they're not gonna follow your rules. We talked earlier in this discussion about um, what do we look for in residence when it comes to what am I checking for, whether it be credit, eviction, income. Um, employment, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things I also look for is their cooperation level. And if it seems to me, and I look at objective things, um, you know, little things like were they on time for the appointment? Did they bring with them the things that I asked them to bring, like copies of pay stubs? Little things like that I'm looking for because if it appears to me that their cooperation level is low, 
I don't want them in the property. So to use your example, if they're at the lease signing and they say, I don't like this rule, I don't like this, and I don't think I'm going to want to go ahead with this, to me, cooperation level is at a zero. It's no need to move forward. Fine, Mr. Resident, I'd much rather you uh, come to that understanding now with me. We can part as friends. Thank you so much. I wish you the best of luck in your search for an apartment or a home that is to your satisfaction. Yeah, you lost somebody, but you lost the right somebody. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you got that right. Some people are better to lose than they are to keep. Uh, and that brings up one other thing, Vina. You should never stop advertising and taking applications until the person actually signs the lease agreement, gets the keys, and moved in. So, in your particular scenario that you came up. I never did stop advertising. I never did stop taking um, applications. I never did stop that process. So it's a good chance. It's a real good chance that I've already got somebody on the waiting list who's ready to move in if this person does not. Very good. We're going to take another quick break. If you have a question about rental management, leasing, uh, retention, anything for Jeffrey Taylor, you better get it in. Right now at 877-772-9658 or at askvina.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to Jeffrey Taylor, better known to folks from all over the country as Mr. Landlord. And I could talk to Jeffrey for six days about all the different stuff that he has implemented in his own business and helped literally at this point. I'm sure over 100,000 people throughout the country implement as well. And uh, once again, he's going to be speaking at the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association's National Conference coming up in November. Um, question here. Oh, yes. That's, this, is, this is, man, I'm sure you hear this one all the time, Jeffrey. This one is from Mike here in Cincinnati. It says, can you ask Jeffrey about dealing with people moving in who aren't on the lease, who are, quote, extended visitors or adult children? Sure. Um, Mike, to respond to that, um, earlier in this discussion, I talked about, first of all, setting expectations. Uh, at the time of application, I asked people, how many people will be moving in? They tell me. I asked them, and how many will be sneaking in after that? <laughs> and they laugh, and it's just, a, again, a light-hearted way to start to hit on a topic that comes up from time to time. So it gives me an opportunity to address that, even at the time of application. Uh, you know, all of us, for the most part, experience somebody trying to add a person uh, to a rental. When I first started, it seemed like over half the time, uh, somebody would sneak or add another person in that wasn't on the lease. But by me taking the time to address the situation, that situation prior to them moving in at the application, and then at the time of the lease signing, addressing it again, I found that the number of people that try, that try to sneak somebody in has gone down dramatically. It still happens from time to time. But the number has dropped dramatically by me mentioning it first at the time of application, then at the time of orientation. And during that orientation, one of the things I do to help make this not so much of a gray area is I would strongly suggest to you that in your lease, you define what a guest is, 
and what a visitor is. So, for example, in my particular lease agreement, it says anybody in a property, living in a property for more than three days consecutively, or anybody living there for more than seven days in a 30-day period, they are considered a resident and not a guest. And therefore, you would be in violation of the rental agreement if you had more residents in your property than those that had signed on the lease or that's listed on the lease. Um, is this a foolproof way to get somebody out? Um, no, but it helps start the conversation much more clearly because if you, I found when you didn't have that in your agreement, then it becomes an argument about, well, they're, they're not a guest. Um, I mean, they're not a resident. They're just visiting with me. They've just been visiting for a week. Um, it's just my uh, so-and-so, and he's going to be leaving soon. Well, instead of me trying to come back and forth and have an argument back and forth, I just simply go to the – I point out in the lease, as we talked about at the orientation, sir, anybody staying in the property for more than three consecutive days, they are considered a resident. And we ask now at this time that that person – Move out of the, move out of the property, not be seen there at the property on a regular basis anymore, or else we're going to have to start the eviction process. So it cuts down on a lot of back and forth by having clear definitions um, in this particular area that um, I brought up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, now, Jeffrey, we don't have a ton of time left, but I would really feel like I was shortchanging our listeners if we didn't talk about your tenant retention program, <laughs> because that's uh, my my own property manager came to me four or five years ago. And he said, you know, I was listening to Jeff Taylor talking at, <laughs> talking at, I think it was Cincinnati Rhea, and he brought up this mm-hmm. thing about how you really need your tenants not just to be good and pay, but you need them to stay a long time in order for them to be profitable. And he said, I went back and I looked at my records and I looked at my clients' records, and it seems to me like you have to have a tenant, you have, your average tenant has to stay an average of three years, or it's almost impossible to make money on a single family home. <laughs> as a rental. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, sort of where where you stand out uh, out there in the management world is that you you actively do things to make tenants stay longer, like you make it attractive for them to stay longer. Can you talk a little bit about that program? Um, yeah, I'll give you a, a couple of big picture points. Um, and one of those big picture points is I've talked during this discussion about having a resident orientation, having expectations. Well, in my lease, the very first thing it says is welcome as one of our new three-star residents. What that is starting to imply and address to the resident that is moving in is the fact that I've developed, and the thing that I suggest other rental property owners do, I've developed a customer loyalty programs. Um, airlines have frequent flyer programs. Some of your stores have uh, special programs for their c- customers who shop with them on a regular basis. Well, I developed one for my residents, and what's the reason for it? When they move into the property, I'm not just wanting them to move in as another, quote, quote, another tenant. No, when they move into my property, they're not just moving in and signing a lease. No, they're moving in and becoming part of a 
three-star program is what I call mine. But the point is I'm becoming part of a customer loyalty program. And I know time is short, but so just a couple of points there. I give perks to my customers as they participate, as they are a resident in my three-star program. So they'll get a move-in gift, for example, or they'll get anniversary gifts um, every year that they're in my property, and those anniversary gifts will get a little bit better each year that they're with us. So, again, I'm putting this all within the context. You're not just a tenant. No, you're a resident. You're not just a resident. In fact, you're a three-star resident. You're participating in our customer loyalty program. We're so glad you're with us that we're going to reward you for being with us. In fact, I say to them, we reward our long-term residents. The longer you stay, the better it gets. And it's amazing to me how people will um, look forward to anniversary gifts. They'll even call on the phone and say, hey, Mr. Taylor, um, I'm looking forward to my next anniversary gift. In fact, can I choose which one that I want? (laughs) And my answer to that question is, sure you can, Bob. Sure you can, Mrs. Jones. Um, when is your anniversary date? And they'll mention it might be three months, six months down the road. And I say, okay, let me talk with the rest of management because, you know, I'm not the owner. Let me talk with the rest of management, and let's see if we can provide that for you as your next anniversary gift. So if we come back to them, to Mrs. Rogers, for example, and say, we can do that on your anniversary day, which is six months away, what in essence have I done? Mm-hmm. I've kind of put her into um, a situation where, She's going to be with us not just for the next six months, but the next 18 months. And when's the last time you've had residents calling you up saying they'd like to get an anniversary gift and they plan on being with you for the next 18 months? Mm -hmm. So, again, the bigger picture here, and I'll be sharing a lot more about that, um, as you indicated, the big event that will be coming up soon. Um, But the bigger picture is I have a customer loyalty program and I have several – things that are included in the program where I reward my residents for their participation in it. So the bottom line is my residents want to stay with me. It's not a matter of they're staying because they have to because of the lease. No, they're staying with me because it's a win-win situation. And that's one of my underlying philosophies in the rental business. I work with people from the standpoint of you help me win, I'll help you win. So many rental property owners don't look at it from the resident's perspective. If you as a rental owner would look at your business, but also look at from the resident's perspective, what's in it for them, and give them just a little bit of something that makes it beneficial that they can see, that they can perceive, you will find that your residents will stay with you longer and they'll be far more cooperative with you. They won't try to just tear up things out of spite when they um, move out of your property. I can't, t- I can't even remember the last time somebody moved out of my property and uh, destroyed it or tore it up. Why? Because they're participating in a program that is win-win for them. And at the end of the relationship, even if I have to evict them, it's far different than the typical landlord-resident scenario. Great advice, and uh, looking forward to hearing a lot more of it in November at the National New Strategies Summit, which will give uh, listeners an opportunity to get signed up for 
sometime in the next, um, I guess, month or two here. We're coming up on something in, I guess, September where we will be able to do that. And uh, appreciate you very much being with us today, Jeffrey Taylor from MrLandlord.com. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.